Welcome to Temple of Health Radio Show. This is Dr. Susan Kolb, and today I'm pleased to have back as my guest, Kate Montana. This time we're interviewing on a, a, a fiction work called Apollo and Me, Loved by a Forgotten God Across Lifetimes, What Would You Do? Um, Kate has been on the show before, uh, and she is a, um author who writes about spirituality and um, the Divine Feminine and uh, a lot of other spiritual topics, and she has uh, written a book um, illustrating a lot of these principles, but in a slightly different format. Thanks for joining us, Kate. It's wonderful to be on the show, Susan, again. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Well, would you like to tell the audience a little bit about your background and um, some of your other books before we get started? Oh, wow. Uh, Well, I guess I'm kind of like a typical spiritual seeker somewhere along the line. uh, When I was actually 30, I uh, woke up and realized that doing uh, life by society's formula, happiness formula, you know, get a good education, get a good job, get a good husband, Mm -hmm. have a couple of kids, just wasn't going to do it for me. And so I took the dive within and, oh, wow, I was a very, um, let me say, uh, obsessive compulsive meditator. Uh, once, <laughs> wow, when I found out about the concept of enlightenment, Susan, I was just, oh my God, there's a way out of here. You know, there's a way past my pain, past my confusion mm-hmm. and suffering. I can be a master. Wow, I'm going to do that. And so I was uh, working in network television at the time, making a, a really good living. And I left everything, and I went and lived in a cabin in the woods in in, uh, North Georgia, outside of Gainesville, about an hour from Atlanta, from where you are, and lived there for three years, uh, and meditated my tail end off, and Mm -hmm. cracked my kundalini, and had all these wild psychic um, experiences, and I was hooked. So fast forward 17 years later, um, in 2007, I did wake up, and it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. <laughs> there was no me left to go, hey, look at me, I'm enlightened. Um, it was, oh, my God, of course, indescribable, delicious, totally liberating. There was no Kate Montana, no issues, no no thoughts you know, of, of insecurity. It was all gone. Kate was gone, and all of her issues mm-hmm. and drama with her. And after three days, unfortunately, um, Kate came back. And so my liberation was, which wasn't my liberation because there was no me to be liberated at that point. Um, I was very confused at that point, Susan, and I didn't know why the persona, the living structure of the ego had come back and trapped me once more. And so then I was off on another journey to figure that out. And at the end of about seven years, I started writing books. My first was a memoir called Unearthing Venus, My Search for the Woman Within. I realized Mm -hmm. at that point that I had really lived my life very much like a guy. I'd been raised in in the 20th century to think like a guy, compete with the guys, go head-to-head, be aggressive, lean in. And it wasn't working for me, and I was... I felt I was missing an enormous element in my life. So I I dove into an investigation of what the divine feminine even really is and Mm -hmm. came up with a lot of um, politically incorrect, at this point, understandings that, you know, women and men are different. 
Wow. I mean, that's a, that's, that is a politically incorrect statement anymore from a gender perspective just blows my mind because, wow, Susan, we miss so much when we try to make these carte blanche statements and lump everybody into the same camp. We miss mm-hmm. the whole dynamic of, of opposition, of, of not opposing forces, but complementary dynamics of yin and yang. And positive and negative, polarity, and what a dance it is. And, and yeah, sure, men have feminine elements and women have masculine elements. It's not a black and white situation. So that was, that was an amazing dive for me. But it was also, it was also a detour, if you will, because in the background, I was still head scratching over the whole waking up experience in 2007. And then again, mm-hmm. Kate coming back and, and why all that had happened. And I, 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 I knew so much about the enlightened state at that point. It was like, oh, my God, it's, it's nothing like I was taught to expect in, in the spirituality arena where I, Kate Montana, was going to become this enlightened master. And it was nothing like that. There, you know, there was no self realization the realization was that there was no self at all and that it right it had always always been a total illusion so this whole striving and struggle and i don't know about you but i mean i'm not the only person i know who was just fixated on this whole i want to become a master and then no longer suffer and get out of here and then i'm going to turn around put on a white robe and i'm going to teach (laughs) I'm sure you yeah, know well, a few people like that. Well, all you need to do is read some of the lifetimes of the masters, and you understand that they actually have challenges that are far greater than what we have as initiates. Exactly. So, you know, it's um, you know, if you look at the masters of today, um, the and many of them aren't known. I know some of them through other people who've gone to study with them. Mm-hmm. But if you read their autobiographies, their lives are way more challenging than our lives are. They're, they're, they're wrought with assassination attempts. They're wrought with all sorts of betrayals and all sorts yeah. of... Now, it's true they do have a bunch of uh, advantages in terms of you know control of the emotional body, control of the mental body, ability to bilocate. Um, Sai Baba used to bilocate mm-hmm. um, and even be able to bring back things you know, from his... Yeah. his uh, he, he, yeah came and they were doing a film documentary and they were out of film or, or a component of the film. It might have been a, uh, you know, a, a, a cassette thing. But he went and bought some in the United States uh, and brought it back with him. And he didn't mm-hmm. use any other transportation other than by location. So, you know, <laughs> it's, well, it, I just have a lot of friends who've studied with Sai Baba and, and yeah. have, you know, personal experiences that they tell me about. But, you know, basically, life is hard here in terms of it's not not a cakewalk for anybody, even the masters. And the masters especially have all sorts of really very interesting attacks on them. Now, it's true that they may foresee them and they can block them and they can survive the assassination attempts. You know, they they do very well in the dance here. But... um, they're just not I tortured sort of, from. They're not assassinating themselves on the inside like we do anymore. At least no, that part of no, the they're dance not. Is over. They're not. They're not. Yeah. No, I mean it's like. I mean, even Sai Baba was accused of uh, molesting boys, and you know he 
when asked about it, he says no defense is necessary. And, you know, that's interesting because, you know, he's basically saying, you know, he's not even going to defend it because whatever, you know. And basically um, every manner of attack is used against the masters, probably would crush us, you know, uh, in terms of we're not at the level where we could handle the those degrees oh, of attacks. But oh no, because then then we're on attack from the outside and we're suffering attack from the inside chronically. So yeah, no, the, yeah. the the entire ego structure would crumble at that point under the yeah. weight of just this ongoing influx of misery, both within and without. So absolutely, absolutely. I have a uh, one of my um, uh, colleagues gave me a book on women masters, which I suggest mm-hmm. you read. I want oh, to tell I would a short story from it, which is hilarious. Um, this this is uh, somebody called Mother, and you mm-hmm. probably people. Know I have heard of her. Yes, I have. Yes. I've read about well, her. Mother. Mother was, I think, in India, and um, a, a family was bringing a very sick baby in, and she had she'd been up for a long time doing healings and everything. So she was sleeping, and her bodyguards were were guarding her. And I mean, think about it—you need bodyguards when you're a master. That's pretty amazing. Um, so the the uh, family came in with the baby, and the guard said, "We can't disturb Mother. She needs her sleep." But Mother got up and went past the guards, of course, because the baby was very ill. And she said, if mother was meant to rest, mother would not have incarnated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. Which is hilarious. <laughs> That's so, brilliant. So, you know, their attitudes and their lack of, um, you know, se- the sense of separated self, which is the ego, is remarkable. And it's all throughout these stories, like yeah. that statement. That's really good. Um, but... I don't think that the masters have it easy, and and I no. think that if you look at their biographical and autobiographical information, um, I had read uh, the master in Cyprus, uh, his autobiography. I mean, mm-hmm. just really very interesting stuff. Because mm-hmm. a friend of mine who was a psychiatrist went and studied with him, and he was trying to get me to study study with Discalis before he died. That was his name. But he would he many people saw him bilocate. Many people saw him. Um, I, I think I mean, there's all sorts of miracles that were witnessed. So these are true masters, and these are people that, you know, we unless you're around them, you're not going to really understand what's possible here. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really amazing uh, to to study the, their lives and see how they react to the different challenges that they're getting. Uh. You know, I think one of the most interesting biographies I ever autobiographies I ever read was read was um, Osho, and he talked mm-hmm. about how he was raised by his grandparents. He was a very came from a very poor family, probably yeah. I think in Delhi, and so he was raised by his grandparents from from age like two onwards, and was not required to do anything. He didn't have to show up. He didn't have to eat. He didn't have to sleep. He didn't have to wear clothes. He didn't have to go to school. They just let him mm-hmm. run completely wild. And he said that when he was about 14, he was taken back with his maternal family and mm-hmm. and expected to go to school and to run errands and to be responsible. And he was completely irresponsible. I mean, I mean the way he described mm-hmm. it, it was like he'd want to throttle him and kill him. But you know he was in the he was in, yeah he was a brat and he was in the temples at you know at fourteen arguing with the priests and 
Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. And But his point was, he said, finally, my parents gave up on me and realized that, you know, they couldn't give me money to go to the store to get milk and expect me to come back within the next two or three days. He said, so they yeah, finally gave right. so they finally gave up on me. And he said, but the point is, can you imagine being raised with no expectations of you whatsoever? Mm-hmm. No, to do nothing, not to have to be any particular way, nada. And he said, mm-hmm. and that is that he says, and this is what cripples us. This is this is the domain of how the ego is is created and solidified in us. We have all these inner expectations and outer expectations of what we're mm-hmm. supposed to be and become and act. And and wow, and we don't even know it. It's it's the bath, you know, it's it's the veritable goldfish in the in the water trying to describe water. So you know when mm-hmm. I when I came out the other side after I wrote Unearthing Venus, um, eventually I felt that I was ready to wrestle with the Enlightenment word and mm-hmm. what I understood about the ego and and what I came what I realized is I, you know, I got my master's degree in psychology and I remembered something called transpersonal awareness and Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and how the ego right. is structured through a need basis. And and I realized that it wasn't, you know, this whole emphasis on getting rid of the ego, kill the bad ego, that is so uh, rampant in spiritual circles. And I was like, oh, my God, it's not about, because you can't, how can you kill an illusion? Yeah, no, it's not about killing the ego at all. No. It's about transcending it to another level of awareness and yep. then observing the ego when it's not behaving well and changing the behavior, you know, through that awareness. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're reacting to things, you shouldn't react to things. I mean, if you're reacting to something with negative emotion, somebody's pushing your buttons, you can observe that and see mm-hmm. how each time somebody pushes that button, you react like that, and then you can gain control through, you know, like rash, rationality and observation and you know, stepping back from it because when you're in it, you can't you can't control it. No, you're, you're just you're all you're taken over. Yeah, you're yeah. taken over. So, yeah, so it's the observer. It's about, yeah, and it's also about expansion. And I was like, oh my god, expanding mm-hmm. the ego. But if you think about it, it's about becoming more inclusive. And it's that yeah. recog- it's that moving into the recognition that we are all one, not just as a philosophical philosophical position, but to actually practice, you know, standing in the grocery store line and feeling and feeling that there is actually no energetic boundary between you and the person before in front of you and, mm-hmm. and you and the checkout person and you and the counter and you and your grocery bags. There are there's no hard and fast boundary. There's no, you know, this atom belongs to the grocery store clerk and this atom belongs to me. That just isn't right. there. So to so I started, you know, I, so I wrote a bunch of, so I wrote a book called The E Word, Ego, Enlightenment, mm-hmm. and Other E Essentials. And it was about my experience um, of, with enlightenment and that it wasn't about self, <laughs> that self is the illusion, and how the self is born, and then this movement mm-hmm. into a transpersonal expanded egoic state to become inclusive with everything. And once right. you become inclusive, then there's no boundary. And it just I wanted is a natural progression. Yeah, I wanted to um, give you one of my personal experiences that illustrates that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had met, uh, I was tapped to meet uh, 
a bunch of masters coming into town. One of my students actually had a program where she'd bring masters in for uh-huh. educational purposes. So she'd always tap me to go out to dinner with them on Friday when they came in, and then they'd have the weekend thing. So I met a bunch of different masters from all over the world, mm-hmm. and they, they had different personalities. I'm telling you oh, now, they, they really had different personalities, different backgrounds, different egos. However, mm-hmm. the thing that was the same about every single one was the energy coming out from their eyes. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. They had a yeah. they literally had an energy, an aura about them that mm-hmm. well it was all over I mean it was all around, but it was it was the eyes that was the same. Whatever that Christ consciousness is comes through the eyes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well there's there's no veils and you can see it and feel it. Yeah. There's just yeah. there's that there's nothing there's no illusion in their eyes. It's crystal clear. I mean, I imagine mm-hmm. it's the same if you looked in Buddha or Christ or, you know, any of the really amazing avatars that we've had. Um, the, I, I think it. I think it's just it, when you get to that level, you just start transmitting light. Mm-hmm. It is a light. And um, I was listening to um, one of the uh, spiritual leaders from Brazil talk about this. Uh-huh. Benito, have you have you heard of him? I've heard of him, yes. Yeah, his his stuff is pretty interesting. He says that at the fourth density, everything is love. So that's what you were talking about in the grocery store. You know, the feeling that the 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 love energy is is in everyone and every all, all around you. But he says in the fifth density, everything's light. And he was explaining the difference between love and light. So the fifth density, which um, the masters are residing in have that energy of light mm-hmm. and that's what mm-hmm. you that's what that auric field is about well, and um you know it's, it's so interesting yeah well it is fascinating and, and what is also fascinating is is that we get into these conversations the fourth density is love and it's this frequency vibration and the fifth density is light and it's this frequency vibration and that's all mental stuff. That is, you know, that, that's drawing lines in the sand. That is explaining and se- how can I describe this? It's, it's segregating and breaking down from a very mental perspective the illusion and still staying in the illusion that there are levels and that there are these different things and that the mind that says that, well, oh, love in the third, fourth density is better than the whatever and power in the third density and light, it, it, because the mind, the ego mind, immediately goes into a hierarchical, judgmental place of, well, oh, I can't just stay at love. Now I've got to strive for light. And we get so bollocked up and, and trapped in these concepts because... Until we start having the actual experience, standing in the grocery store and not looking at the at the grocery store clerk, you know, oh, I have to love this person and oh, and I have to exude light mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh my God, it's just as simple of not being in your head at all and just going into a felt sense, not trying to feel love or radiate anything, but a felt sense and recognition that there actually is no boundary between Mm -hmm. you and the clerk or anybody else. And so rather than go into the head and trying to feel what essentially is an emotional, yes, it's a frequency, a very high frequency, but, you know, we're hung up on love in the whole New Age movement, like that's the piece de resistance, that that's the be-all to end-all. And that's a very limited perspective. 
And it, because there are frequencies, as you said already, but beyond love, and we, we cannot, we can't wrap our heads around these these experiences in these states. We can only be blessed to tap into it every once in a while, and then we go, you know, that's 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 the reason for the word transcend, because there mm-hmm. is this state of consciousness and awareness that just transcends all of the. All of the labels and all of the all of the demarcations and the words and the concepts that we that we depend on as human egos because it defines us until it no longer does until those mm-hmm. veils drop and it, it all goes away. So I you know it's well, one of the yeah just briefly it's just one of the things that I really I really am kind of getting fierce about is that is dropping the insistence of continually being in the head and labeling and I and and going to these places and making statements like love is all there is and it's just like wow and then we end up living from a false misleading and very limited belief system all the while thinking that we're outside of the box <laughs> we've just created well, a bigger different yeah box. I don't think you're going to be outside the box until you actually you know physically leave the body but um but basically what what I was trying to say about the master's experience was that mm-hmm. the energy that was coming off of them and through them is yeah. like a um okay, so you have the matrix, which we're definitely you know in, but oh, yeah. something's bleeding through the matrix is what I'm saying, and mm-hmm. the the light experience it it wasn't just it's not just a mental concept, it's actually a feeling mm-hmm. of light breaking through the matrix and then at that point you can really imagine that in eternity there is this bright light which they you know i mean some people with near-death experiences have the tunnel and the bright light and everything bright light is Uh definitely in in the whole genre of beyond the matrix okay yeah so what i'm seeing is the bleed through and Mm -hmm. um i don't know if you remember nancy over in conyers who was channeling mother mary for the catholic church did you ever no see that on, yeah. i missed that um a friend of mine who's a neurologist wrote a book on it so he spent a lot of time over there with her and he mm-hmm. would say that the light would bleed through photo i mean um not photos but pictures in her house uh-huh. and he he wrote a book on this light that would get in through things and it wow. was the same light i was experiencing from the master so all i'm saying is that perhaps this is a this is a clue of what actual creative you know cre- creation is about light and then these are examples of bleed through okay mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. we may not experience the light until we actually leave the physical body i mean i mean actually leave it not just near death yeah. experience but you know right. i don't think people actually go into the light they they try to go into the light with near-death experiences they're met by beings that they recognize told to go back so they don't actually go into the light so um but there is that light and i yeah that's just evidence of it you know that that it does bleed through the it bleeds through the masters it bleeds through um certain religious artifacts it's um it it just is a glimpse into what may be true reality Mm. um you know, like yeah. what the Course in Miracles talks about: nothing real can be threatened, nothing unreal exists. So, um, right. obviously, a lot can be threatened within the Matrix. You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> not a true statement everything. for the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's God, let's no. talk a little bit about your book. Um, it is a departure from your usual uh, book um, style and 
how how did that come about? Wow. Well, um, I was in Greece in 2015. I was writing the E-word, um, and I was on contract with uh, a Simon & Schuster imprint in Live and Books. And uh, a friend of mine has a beautiful uh, vacation home over on the island of Paros. Um, and mm-hmm. so she invited me. She said, gee, um, Kate, do you want to come and spend three months on Paros and finish writing the book? And I was like, I don't know. Gee, let me think. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Greece is I, wonderful, by the way. Uh, it's just gorgeous. You know, it was the first place I ever wanted to travel when I was a, when I was a young girl. I was deeply immersed in in Greek mythology. Um, mm-hmm. I had a and I had an archaeology and anthropology minor in college. I was, and so Greece was the very first place I traveled in Europe. And um, Delphi was actually the place that I wanted to go to. And I was there when mm-hmm. I was nineteen. So fast forward, you know, forty five years later. Um, I was on my way to Paros and um, on a deadline for writing this book about the ego and um, psychology and ego evolution and quantum physics and all these very heady, very intellectual Mm -hmm. topics. And I took a break and I went up to Delphi and um, and I did the tourist thing and and I just loved it. And it was beautiful and took a bunch of selfies and yada, yada. But the next day, I wanted to get away from the crowd. I just couldn't take the tourists anymore. So I hiked up um, a trail up above the temple complex up Mount Parnassus. And I was sitting on a kind of a in a meadow of wildflowers overlooking the Pleistos River Valley and the Sea of Corinth behind me. And it was just delicious. And it was spring. And I was in Greece. And oh, my God. Susan, I had a vision. <laughs> Out of the blue, I just saw this man approach me, and he came and sat, and he was gorgeous, and he came and he sat down next to me, and he just said, hi, I'm Apollo, I have things to tell humanity, let's talk. Bam. Mm. And then it was gone. And it was just like, oh, it was like, what? (laughs) What the (laughs) hell just happened? Yeah. It was was just... You know, I don't know if it was real, if it was, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't sleepy. I'd had a lot of Greek coffee for breakfast. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was like, oh my God. And all I could, well, and then all I could think of at that point was, well, what does he have to tell humanity? And Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I was just, I was blown away, Susan. And so I, I, I hiked back down the trail immediately. I just forgot about everything that I was going to do that day. And I went back to my room and, and hold up my computer and started writing because I have found that probably like a lot of writers, I basically, um, I, I write very long hours when I'm on a topic and I basically mm-hmm. kind of go into, I, I know I go into at least an alpha state, if not a theta state and basically kind of channel information a lot mm-hmm. of the time. So I was like, wow, okay. So I wanted to write about the experience and what I remembered so I wouldn't forget any of the details. But then I just kind of sat there and I was like, well, what does he have to tell humanity? And I just sat Mm -hmm. there and waited. And then I just started to get this information that in this story unfolded about Apollo and his, and he was basically on a mission back in, 500 400 bc to set the stage for the coming of the christos 
of mm-hmm. the coming of the Christ, and 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 he was trying to hold a gateway open at the temple of Apollo in Delphi of re- retaining the the power of the goddess and mm-hmm. elevating the goddess and the feminine to an equal stature with the masculine, because. In 500 BC, basically there was this huge shift from the goddess religions to the the more masculine, the more masculine gods, and right. so and there was an enormous um, degradation of women as power in in society yep. and and every other level, mm-hmm. and of all of the and of all of the uh, temples and all of the gods in Greece, Apollo's mm-hmm. temple was the only one that didn't go to masculine priests. He had mm-hmm. the, the temple of Apollo had feminine priests, priestesses, mm-hmm. and the Pythia was the 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 woman, the the Orphic channel um at Delphi. And it was always a woman and a married woman. And so Apollo's temple was the only place where the masculine and the feminine were were shown side by side as equals. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so he was talking about how <laughs> oh my god. Well, and then then the whole story unfolded that I had been a priestess at his temple back in those times and that I had been involved in this this plot or if you will, this plan to keep this energetic gateway of the feminine open. Mm-hmm. And um, and that of course when when Yeshua ben Joseph when Jesus the um, the Christ would come and Mary Magdalene his partner they were on that same mission to elevate humanity to their divinity and right. show at the same time the equality of man and woman the the mm-hmm. the divinity in both man and woman but um, according to Apollo there was a an assiduous plot afoot by other elements, if you will, other gods, quote-unquote, and I use that mm-hmm. word loosely, um, and I don't want to spoil the, <laughs> the whole thrust right, of the book, yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah, but there's a plot afoot to destroy mm-hmm. that, the coming of the Christos, this coming of the divinity, because, you know, you're, I'm, I'm sure you're no stranger, and most of the audience was probably no stranger to the whole concept that there are a lot of entities out there that feed on human emotion, mm-hmm. that literally take their sustenance and their life force from right. triggering human negative emotion. Yes, exactly. Right. And yeah. so they're very there's there's this underlying. Yeah, you know, I can't believe that I'm talking in terms of of plots and conspiracies at this point in my in my life. But but it's but it's interesting because you know here we we're talking about the matrix. And in mm-hmm. the Matrix, there are all of these amazing, diabolical, heavenly, gorgeous, deeply evil, you know, it's Alice's Restaurant. Anything you want is, is here, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, the, the gloves are off in the Matrix, and it's do what you will. And, and we're seeing today in America this amazing movement to, to become a theocracy where we're seeing this amazing movement in America to become a Christian nation and to trans and to and to completely kick in the teeth the constitution one of the basic premises of the the foundation of the United States is the separation of church and state and so there's this enormous movement to this day to become a Christian nation 
and get us to God in that way, which, of course, pits us against Islam and everything else, and just continues to foster and foment dissension and division and anger and righteousness and war. And so that was what Apollo, and so uh, that was that was the foundation of Apollo's desire to talk to humanity, was to mm-hmm. uplift the feminine in everybody's eyes, to talk about that past and the setup that actually took the cup away from the lips of humanity when Jesus was betrayed and ended mm-hmm. up on the cross instead of walking a path with, with Mary Magdalene. Openly yeah, Mary was espousing. supposed to be a, a priestess, a pagan priestess. Too. Indeed, she was. So she was, yeah. She was very um, educated in the ways of the bringing the male and the female together. She was a highly enlightened master. Yeah. Bottom bottom line, there's just and no then the other disciples it. were jealous of her, which is a problem. Absolutely, <laughs> well, absolutely, because yeah. we'd already, yeah, society had already, you know, well, um, uh, you know, many of the apostles were well, Paul. My God, it's it just pure misogyny, and we'd right. already, you yeah. know, tipped over into that women are the are, are worthless scum of the earth. Well, and, we were the we were the downfall because we ate the apple, you know. We were oh, the, absolutely from the very beginning of the myth. You know? Oh my God! <laughs> well, you know, and that's one of the things that well, Apollo he is one of his one of his attributes is he's the guy he's the bringer of light, he's the god mm-hmm. of wisdom. And he is also the god of healing and medicine. Yeah. And that was in that's what he wants to he wanted to bring he wants to bring healing to the yeah. feminine. Because mm-hmm. he recognizes this terrible betrayal of the feminine and right. what we have endured. And you know, and one of the things oh my god, Nancy, you know, I mean Susan, one of the things sorry, one of the I don't know where Nancy came from. <laughs> well, my mother almost <laughs> Uh, listen, my mother almost named me Nancy. Oh, my God. Wow, that frequency was right there. <laughs> so it may not have been random. <laughs> but Susan means she who is betrayed. Uh, no, I'm sorry. She, really? she who is falsely accused, yeah. And I've had more false accusation in my lifetime than most people have in 10 lifetimes. That's it's so very interesting because my mother wanted to name me Susan. Well, and be thankful she didn't. Well, she didn't have a choice in the matter. She was comatose um, in a in a in, oh, in a coma, goodness. and I was delivered yeah. cesarean. And um, her mother, my grandmother, never liked the name Susan, and they thought I was going to die anyway. So she didn't think a thought it mattered. So she named me what she wanted, which was Mary <laughs> Catherine. <laughs> well, it's it's probably an easier spiritual path. <laughs> but, uh... yeah. Catherine means purity, so. And yeah, that's, that's the, what I've the, the, you did well for. In, in the name department. <laughs> oh God! Well, but you know, it, it's it, this whole writing this book, Susan, just took me on this amazing journey in my own being. It 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 took me so deep into my own femaleness, into my mm-hmm. own. Took me back into that core feminine wound that I thought over and over and over again that I had healed, that I had dealt mm-hmm. with. And and I was so surprised and shaken even to realize still how insecure I was and how desperately I wanted to become I wanted to be seen as valuable 
in other people's mm-hmm. eyes and therefore in my own, which was, I discovered, the core reason that I wanted to write and I wanted to bring a message to the world. Well, yes, mm-hmm. I, I, have a, I have a tremendous amount of information to share. Absolutely. Valuable information. And I had no idea how much I wanted to be recognized, to be seen. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things writing Apollo and me woke me up to and enabled me to heal finally. Because I, I finally just acknowledged the depth of my own insecurity and my own lack of self-love for myself mm-hmm. as a woman. I, I could you know, deal with being a spiritual being and I love myself and all this wonderful grand stuff, yada, yada. But the mm-hmm. feminine, that aspect, to love that, oh, my God, that was a deep dive, Susan. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to heal there. And that, that vision that you describe in the book uh, that Apollo um, induced is, yes. and was a good example of that. But, you know, I, want, I wanted to also make the point that if you study the lives of People who were very, very famous, you know, Elvis Presley, Michael Jackson, um, you know, whoever is, you know, the the even Johnny Depp, these mm-hmm. people were intensely shy and intensely withdrawn yeah. and intensely, you know, they all had that same wounded, you know, the, the lack of self-confidence. And yet mm-hmm. look at what they're look at the heights they achieved in their career, it, but it had to be like a mask that they put on. You know, it it's had a to persona. be a, a persona because it's polar opposite to who they really were in real life. Mm-hmm. I just think it's fascinating. Um, yeah. in, in your case, it's not so extreme, but it's a similar thing that, you know, you, you're, you're um, putting on a kind of, uh, well, I wouldn't say a persona, but it's a, when you come out into the world, you're doing the opposite of what, you know, you feel in your, in your being, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very interesting. Oh, yeah. But, uh, well, it's fascinating. And, and, and I was one of those shy kids, and I felt incredibly mm-hmm. awkward around people and life situations. And it was like, right. I, I remember just feeling like I'll never get it. I'll never mm-hmm. understand how to operate here. Mm-hmm. I'll never feel comfortable here. And... And I just, and I was, God, I was the dunce of every class up until through high school, through freshman year in high school. I didn't understand the intellectual left brain world. I was just out there in space. All I wanted Mm -hmm. to do was sit under a tree or get on my pony and ride through the woods. And, you know, it was just like, get me out of here. And I remember when I was a freshman in high school, I was headed over to the classrooms to take, to prepare a study for final exams. And again, I was all C's and all D's. It was just like, oh, it was mortifying. And I remember, Susan, deciding as I crossed the parking lot, I stopped and I went, screw it. I am done with being stupid. I'm done with being the dunce of the class. I'm going to study. And from that moment on, I set my cap and I ended up graduating valedictorian in high school. I switched hats. I just dove Mm -hmm. into the left brain and said, this is what I'm going to do. And that was... And I'm clawing my way out of that decision 50 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Re-embracing that, that whole left, right brain, the intuitive, 
that the what you know the, the the feminine is just this deep dive wildly chaotic amazing fecund place that everything is birthed from mm-hmm. and it's and it's and and this amazing unfolding of the richness of the dance of life that I contain in this body of mine and in it's just it's astounding and it's so sweet I have fallen into a place of such sweetness Susan mm-hmm. and such grace in my life since I wrote Apollo and me it's been you know here I was on a path I'm going to by God become enlightened I wake up I go back to sleep. The personality comes back. Yeah. I'm still dealing with the with the ego structure. I write all these books. I you know I work with the filmmakers of What the Bleep Do We Know. I'm interviewing quantum physicists and and psychologists and biochemists about you know the mechanics of, of consciousness and brain physiology. Mm-hmm. Left brain, left brain, left brain. I'm driven, driven, driven. I lean in like a banshee. All of this very masculine expression, and it's like, well, what I <laughs> one of the things that I learned writing Apollo and me that Apollo basically showed me was that life enlightenment is a natural result of life well and fully lived. Mm-hmm. It is not about being a driven maniac, you know, isolating yourself in a cabin in the woods for years on end to meditate, to mm-hmm. get to the end goal of enlightenment. And mm-hmm. he pointed out to me that I had missed so much of life. I had been so driven at, you know, from once from a career in the material world to then the, the, the ultimate goal in the spiritual world, enlightenment. And I'd never well, literally stopped to smell the roses. And yep. it was, it was like, come on, woman, dive into your body, get into, stop trying to get out mm-hmm. of here. The only way out mm-hmm. is through. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, and, and part of that through, I had to sit down and slow down and open up and start embracing the sweetness of life just as it is delivered on your plate every day when you open your eyes in the morning. And mm-hmm. it's been a real, it's been a tremendous transformation for me, Susan. It's been amazing to get out of that whole kind of driven, striving arena and just huh, breathe deep and start to flower. And Apollo and me, that just came out of the flowering. Yeah, it's it's um, it's one thing to, you know, and gather information and figure everything out. I mean, it's fun. I do it all the time. I do it with the radio show because I interview yeah. people that I'm interested in interviewing because they've got this piece of the puzzle, as you yeah. as you well know. But it's another thing to be able to live every day, even if not much is happening in the way of forward motion, but just living it in you know pure enjoyment and. Um, I guess non-expectation and just really being in the now. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's an experiential thing that is more right-brained, and um, is uh, you do have to kind of not be so driven. I, I understand mm-hmm. that very well. Oh my God, Susan, that is the key. That is the key right there. I and mean, when you said forward motion, mm-hmm. it is becomes 
stunningly obvious to me in my meditations now because I, I go into the place of wholeness with my eyes closed in meditation. It's mm-hmm. like bliss and samadhi is just right there. It's the, right. the trick is doing it with my eyes open, which right you know, walking with, in with, meditation. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and it's beyond meditation. There's no meditation at that point. The gloves right. are off, the veils right. are down, and it's just like oh, ah! yeah. no wonder yeah. Buddha is always shown smiling and laughing. It's because it is mm-hmm. the biggest freaking joke on the planet. But right. um, <laughs> but it's like, and I'm realizing more and more intensely as I go deeper and deeper in my in my sadhana that. Any sense of forward motion is what trips me up. Is mm-hmm. is it's it's not that you don't do. <laughs> Here's this you know Sinatra dooby dooby doo. The trick is to just be so centered, spine erect, literally the axis of of reality is through your spine, and mm-hmm. allowing the information to flow in through be and be present as you say, and it's just but. The, the the more I can av- avoid the temptation of moving into a forward motion because mm-hmm. it's right. because it's already my my I'm not I'm already not present I'm in the kitchen because I'm I've got to get to the kitchen and stop doing what I'm doing now because the pot's over overflowing and once that's done my forward motion is to take me to the store to get some more comic cleanser for my countertops and then I'm in the store but I'm I'm thinking my forward motion is to quick get back to the house so I can get back to my computer and finish writing an article mm-hmm. and I'm in the midst of writing the article and I'm already thinking about what I'm going to do with da, 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 after I'm through mm-hmm. reading the finishing the article and then and then and then and there's always this forward leading motion that is yeah Much taking me out of the moment now <laughs> yeah. absolutely absolutely yeah, it so it's so it, 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 i'm enjoying this very delicate nuanced dance of energy mm-hmm. now and the more i can fall into for lack of a better word this more feminine receptive space mm-hmm. um wow I mean, I swear that, that that whole lean in, whoever, who who's the woman who coined that whole lean in movement? I don't know. I'm, I'm not God, I can't remember. It's not, it's not sure. Never. It wasn't her. But it's like, that is some of the worst disservice to women I can, I can fathom mm-hmm. at this point. We're so off point with so many, uh, with so many aspects of our, of our being and women have it all. You know, that's one of the, that's the, <laughs> Apollo is a is a is a is a great fan of 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 the feminine, mm-hmm. and he's like, you've got it all. He said, you are it all. Your 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 corpus callosum is is unfathomably more developed than a man's. He you're capable of using both right and left brain. Most men are very stuck in one brain or the other. And he said, I, I your wanted- whole. And and well anyway and so that was like wow. There, there's yeah. an actual <laughs> exercise. Have you ever seen that exercise of the ballerina? No. Oh, you you've got to look this up. There's an exercise. There's a picture of a ballerina, and if you're mm-hmm. right-brained, she is going to the right. She's twisting to the right. You know, turning uh-huh. to the right. If you're left-brained, she's turning to the left. And when I looked at her, she went right, then she went left, then she went right, then she went left. <laughs> and then the third thing is, if you're totally balanced, she goes right, left, right, left. So go find her, you know, because oh when you 
because it will give you an a, a a like a real quick test of where you are. Where you, know, you are. It's a, it's, a, it's just a really nice little uh, exercise. Oh, thank but that's, you. Um, that's the idea of the corpus callosum going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And every time she turns, it's going back and forth. That's what it, that's yeah. what's happening. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, it'll so probably be of, under right right left brain tests. You know. Yeah, yeah, I'll do. I'll I'll look that up as soon as we we hang up the show. Wow. Yeah. So you know, it, it, one of the things that who was it? it was the Dalai Lama who said the, the the Western woman will be the savior of the world. Well, we can only do that as women. And right. I'm, and it's we're like, not becoming men. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have no desire to become a man in a in a I mean a woman in a man's world. You know, I prefer to just pretend I'm creating my own world. You know, <laughs> which uh, you are. Yeah, which I am. So, um, but you yeah. know, you 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 do know if you're doing okay because of how it's not just happiness. It's a sense of peace. And a sense of even though there may be lots of problems around you, lots of challenges that you do have to, you know, pay attention to, you you live in a, I would say it's a different realm of existence. You're not quite stuck in the matrix. You just have a sense of a, pe- a peace at the base mm-hmm. of things, even mm-hmm. though things may be very chaotic on the surface. Yeah. Yeah, well, isn't that the point of the whole dance to get to that place where you're no longer disturbed by what the ruffles on top of the water? Your, well, your I think that's why we created the matrix to begin with. Was we had to have a place of conflict and turmoil that we could rise above. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, I, don't I think, think that in our in our actual eternity thing with all that light, there's that much conflict. <laughs> you know, well, it, it, conflict was inevitable on this plane. It, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't think we it created was. it deliberately. It was just like because in a state of wholeness, you can't even fathom the concept of of chaos you can't and fight opposition. With- not well, you can't you, even. Yeah. It, well, the the concept doesn't exist. So you know, we would yeah. never have sat in heaven and gone, "Oh, let's create <laughs> yeah. a game where we forget where who we are and yada yada." Well, what happened more likely is that creation occurred what, what less than a millisecond after the Big Bang. The first things mm-hmm. that were created were electrons and positrons, positive and negative. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we had opposing the whole structure of this fabric of illusion <laughs> called reality that we're dealing with is based in opposition yeah. from the less than a millisecond after it was created. So, yeah. and, and that was unexpected. It was, who knew what was going to happen? So yeah, I've, I've had, well, they call it an experiment for a reason. <laughs> you know, like, well, we didn't know. We didn't know. That's Life right. Know. We have to figure our way out. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. So here we are in the soup without a clue and we have to figure it out as we go. And that's this awakening consciousness that is that, yeah. that the human being is capable of because we've got these amazing physiology, uh, the brain, and that, that enables mm-hmm. us to be self-reflective and to have this journey. Wow. Yeah. yeah it gets more and more stunning, this whole, this whole game. Uh, you know, the further I go, Susan, the less I know for sure, but the, but the better everything gets. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up on the end of our hour. Would you like to give your contact information? Well, sure. Um, it's katemontana.com, C-A-T-E, Kate with a C. And um, let me see. Or on Facebook, it's The Real Kate Montana. 
and um, and Apollo and Me will be released May seventh. Yay! So excited. Um, you can great. find it. You can find it on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, Goodreads, um, and all those places. Well, I wow. really enjoyed the story. It was a great story, and you had a lot of really good concepts woven into it, which which helps too to make it, um, you know, a, a spiritual uh, source of information as well. Well, exactly. So, you know, everybody keeps telling me publishers and agents and, and publicists keep telling me that there's no room for for spiritual stories than for novels. That everybody has to go nonfiction, and I'm like. Well, wait a minute. That's not true. Uh That's not true. Some of the greatest books that we've, you know, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, Illusions, Mm -hmm. The Four Agreements, the all of those things were set in a novel form. So it's like, yeah, Yeah, I'm Celestine Prophecy, right? Celestine Prophecy, exactly. So I'm like, no. And and one of the things that I was so excited and I was we I was freaked out to write a romance. I really was. But then Apollo Mm -hmm. was just like. This is exactly what the world needs. We need to get back into our bodies. We need, you need to embrace your sexuality as part of the picture. Stop splitting everything up and trying to be this spiritual person. Well, You're missing the whole point. <laughs> and and like, if you oh. think about it, how can you uh, how can you write a, a story about healing the divine feminine and it not be a romance? I mean, you know, it has to be. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. So I, I, you've gotten off my high horse and my intellectual whatever of my left brain, yada, yada, and having to write mm-hmm. nonfiction about ego and enlightenment. And I'm like, yeah, let's talk about mm-hmm. love. Let's talk about wounding. Yeah. Let's talk about bodies. Let's right. talk about romance. Let's talk about passion. Mm-hmm. Because right. it's through our passion that life flowers through us. And then we, we tra- and, that's, yeah. and that's the path through. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for having me on this show, Susan. Well, thanks for coming on. It was a great book, and hope everybody out there is gets a chance to enjoy it. And um, we'll uh, see everybody next week. 